Isaiah 56, through the end of the book in Isaiah 66, we see that the same grace that God makes available to any who will receive it, that that same grace empowers us to live life as God designed it to be lived. So let's look at that and keep that context in mind as we come to Isaiah chapter 56. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Hear now God's word. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. Your translation may say, do what is right. For soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Your translation may say a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are gathering a people to yourself. Thank you that you have called us to be a part of that community of faith that is your family. I pray that you would show us our freedom and remind us of the freedom we have and the monument and the name that you give to us. And I pray that you would help us to remember our freedom and celebrate that so that we might walk in your ways and that we might more and more look like the Lord Jesus so that people would be drawn to his beauty and his glory such that your kingdom would grow. And Father, I pray that you'd be willing to do that through the preaching of your word, specifically through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. I ask that you'd be willing to use even that, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're in Isaiah 56, verse 1. Let's jump in together. Let's dig in and look at verse 1. God says, Thus saith the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness. Do what is right, your translation may say. For soon my salvation will come, my deliverance will be revealed. Notice the flow of thought here. Do you see the flow of thought? God's saying at present, at the present time, do what is right because soon I'm going to make all things right. And because we have that assurance that God's going to bring justice, that he's going to eliminate oppression, that, that because God's going to make all things new, we can begin to live that way now as the people of God. That's the floor throughout. Because God will soon make all things right, we start living that way now. And as we do that as the people of God, we are a light to the nations in the darkness. We're a light to the people around us. We're a, we're a billboard 
that you can look at a billboard and see what's coming down the road, and that's what we are as the people of God. We're a billboard that people can look at us and see what the coming kingdom looks like by the way that we live life, by the way that we love one another. Then God knows that people know there's a God and that there's a different kind of community. We're sort of an appetizer, a foretaste of what is to come. And as people look at us and see that kind of community, the thought is they will be drawn to that, that they will want to live in a community like this. And so they join the people of God now. That's where this is all going. That's what Isaiah is pointing out. That's what God is saying through Isaiah. That's why we live the way that we live. Let me make just three quick applications from verse 1. I want to make three quick applications. I really struggled with this text this week. I feel like I wrote several sermons on Isaiah, 40, uh, Isaiah 56. It's a tough passage, and I don't want you to get distracted by some of the things that distracted me. So let me just make a few applications. First is this. The temptation that we have in the world that we live in, in the, in the culture we live in, in the day we live in, with the news that's going on, the, the temptation is, is to read verse 1, keep, God says, keep justice and do righteousness, do what is right, and then think to ourselves, wow, look at how the world is not living that way. The world is just not just. They're not living. They out there are not living life the way it should be lived. And then we think of all the news reports we've seen and we shake our heads. And it would be easy to preach that sermon. I had to throw that one away because that's really not what God is talking about right here. That's not what is written in this word. He's not writing to the world right here. If you were with us last week for Isaiah 55, you know the context here is those who God has called to himself, Isaiah 55, 1, those who listen diligently to his word, who incline our ear to hear him, and that, and that we're walking in his ways, verse 2 says, right? Or verse 6 of Isaiah 55, those who are seeking the Lord, those who are seeking to live life as he designed it to be lived, those are the people that God says, keep justice and do righteousness. So as we talk about this, don't let your mind wander to what's going on out there, because that's not really who God's talking to. And I know it's easy to think about the news and what people are doing in California or New York or Portland or Chicago, but let's work hard to focus on this community of believers here in the Shoals area, because that's who God is talking to. Boy, the time that we live in, it is easy to start thinking about the election. It's easy to think about who's running for the White House, and is that person keeping justice, and are they doing righteousness and doing what is right? And you should go through that analysis. That is something that you should think about. But understand that who God is talking to right here is us, the people of God. He's not primarily talking to who's running for the White House. Primarily here, God is talking to who is running your house. And so let's come to the text and allow it to speak first and foremost to us as the people of God and not let our minds wander to what's going on out there because that's primarily who God is talking to. Now, if he's talking to us, second point of application, we're not letting our minds wander 
We're letting this penetrate our heart. We're letting it speak into our lives. Let's, let's think about what it's saying. If God is gathering a people to himself, who God then uses to draw others into his kingdom, think about that with me. What that means is that our salvation is not all about us. Our salvation is a means that God is using to some other end. We don't talk about that a lot. We tend to emphasize some of the benefits of salvation that are real. But, but I want you to know, and it's important that we remember in this context, that our salvation is not only about pardon for sin, although God makes that available, and we saw it very clearly in Isaiah 53. Our salvation and our coming to this community is not only about our learning to cope with life and live, with life, live life more and more as God designed it to be lived, although that's part of what our salvation is about. Isaiah 40 talks about at the end those resources that God gives us to be able to do that. But also notice that our salvation is not only about our going to heaven and spending an eternity with God, which he clearly talks about here in verse 5 and in verse 7 of this text. That's part of it. But understand that another part of our salvation is that it is a means to some other end, that one purpose of our salvation is that God changes us and puts us in a community of people who are being changed so that as others see people who are different, who are salt and light, they see us and they long for a change in their own lives and they come to God and join his family and his community. And as that happens over and over again over time, God changes this world as his kingdom comes and his will is done more and more on this earth as it is in heaven. And what that means for us is that church is not only about coming here for what you can get. That coming here to church is also about being equipped for who God has us to be in the world and what God has for us to do. You heard it referred to in Jeremy's prayer, and I appreciated that because we've been talking more and more as a leadership that as our time, as we spend time, as people gather here at Redeemer Church more and more, we want there to be at least one time a week that you are poured into. We want you to be equipped. We want you to grow in the faith. We want you to grow in in knowledge and maturity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want there to be one time every week that you are poured into. But we also want there to be at least one time a week that you are pouring out, that you're pouring into somebody else, that you are equipping somebody else, that you are doing something where you are pouring out, not for what you can get, but for what you are doing for God to build the kingdom in and through you. We'll talk about that more. Come next week at 6 for Redeemer 101, basic information about Redeemer Church. Come the weeks after that, there'll be a six-week class after that, walking your path. What we want discipleship to look like here at Redeemer Church, led by the elders. We'll talk about this more, and you'll hear new opportunities for you to be poured into and opportunities for you to pour out for the advancement of the kingdom. May God do that in this place. Third application from verse 1. When we read verse 1 and we see it say, keep justice, it's a buzzword in our society. 
A lot of talk about justice. A lot of talk about what justice is and what it's not. And the temptation when we come to verse 1 and God says keep justice and do what is right, the temptation is to think, ooh, I think I know what he means by that. And to read our idea of justice into the text. And we begin to think, ooh, if the preacher's going to preach on, on keep justice, I hope he tells everybody to do this because this is really the essence of justice. This is what it's about. This is what doing life right looks like. So I hope he talks about this, right? That, that's a distraction for us. That's a temptation for us to go there. It makes it hard to hear the scriptures speak to us when we do that. So let's just agree to this, okay? Let's just agree that we're not going to read our idea of what keeping justice is or doing what is right or living righteously. Let's not read that into the text, okay? Let's let God in Isaiah 56 inform our idea of what justice is. Let's let the scripture speak to us. Let's let the text teach us. I got off on a lot of stuff this week because I wasn't doing that, and I don't want you to be distracted in that way. And when I looked at this text about what God meant when he said keep justice, I'm going to be honest with you, I was shocked. It would not have been in my top 10 things. It would have been in my top 50 things. Look at how God defines keeping justice and doing what is right. You see it there in verse 2. Let's keep going, all right? Let's, let's apply it. Now, what does it look like? So in verse 1, God has said, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation is going to come. Verse 2, blessed is the man who does this. Who does what? Who keeps justice, who does what is right. Referring back to verse 1. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man, his children, who hold fast to it. That he's taught even the next generation to cling to these things, to hold on tightly to them, that the next generation would keep justice and walk in God's ways and live life as he designed it to be lived. So again, a reference to verse 1, keeping justice new is right. So the son of man who holds fast to it, and then he defines it, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. I, don't, I can't tell you how many hours this week I spent on how does keep justice and keep the Sabbath go together? For a while, I thought, well, maybe Isaiah just sort of had ADD. Maybe he had some attention deficit, and he kind of got chased a rabbit and went off on a tangent. Actually, he is laser-focused on this because he says it again in verse 4. Do you see it? To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and, equated with, choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. Then he says it again in verse 6. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. Like, man, he's making some connection between keeping justice and keeping the Sabbath that I'm just not seeing. And I don't think it's a tangent because he says it three times in the text. There must be some relationship that I'm not seeing here. Now, typically, when we talk about the Sabbath, what do we talk about? What can I do and what should I not do on the Sabbath? And those, that's a legitimate question. We should have that discussion. If you want more specifics, I'm going to give you some broad categories here, but if you want more specifics, go back and listen to the sermon from the Ten Commandments series from a couple of summers ago. I preached a whole sermon on the Fourth Commandment. I've written on it. If you want the paper, you can email info at Redeemer Shoals, and I can give you more detail. There's a whole matrix in there. We've done a lot of work on this before. 
But let's focus here on what the text is saying. Let's not miss the point of what he, God is saying here. How is keeping the Sabbath, keeping justice, and doing what is right? I told you I spent a lot of time on that this week because I didn't see it. I didn't understand that. It didn't make sense to me. So if you will turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5, this is where I made the connection between keeping justice and keeping the Sabbath. The context here, God has freed his people from their slavery in Egypt where they worked as slaves. He's brought them out. They're about to enter the promised land, and he's giving them the Ten Commandments and reminding them of how he wants them to live in the land that he's going to give them where they're going to go in and live life. And as you get to Deuteronomy 5 and verse 12, God says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Now when he says to keep it holy, that means to set it apart. It means that there's one day in seven that is different than the other six days. And so whatever we're doing on that day is different than the other days. That's what holy and set apart. And the example is God from creation. He created in six days, and then on one day he ceased. He stopped. That's what Sabbath means. It means cease. Sabbath means stop. Okay? So we stop doing what we've been doing the other six days. Keep going. Verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner within your gates, that, uh, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So we get some categories here. The work... Do all that flow of thought. What is God saying? God is saying, because I freed you from slavery in Egypt, you are to observe the Sabbath day. That's exactly what he says, right? Because I freed you, rest one day in seven. Let's keep walking down this road. Let me ask you. These people who were slaves in Egypt, who were going into the promised land, do you think when they were slaves in Egypt that they got a day off every week? No, they were slaves. There were literal slave drivers who wanted them to make more bricks with less straw. They didn't get a day off. They worked every day, all day, because they were slaves. And so God is saying here, because you are now free, because I have freed you from slavery... I want you to work six days a week so that you can survive, but one day a week I want you to stop, cease, rest. Because you're not a slave anymore. Because I, I've freed you from your slavery. You see, God is saying here, if you don't keep Sabbath, you are living like a slave. If you cannot stop and rest one day in seven, if you can't walk away from your work for the sake of your body, your mind, if you can't stop one day a week to feed your soul in this community of believers, then you are living like a slave. Starting to get to these justice issues now, right? Because what that means, if you work all the time, if you don't take time to stop and rest, God says one day in seven, then what that means is that you are exploited 
by a system of production and consumption in your culture. And it is all around us, isn't it? Isn't that the pressure? Isn't that the pressure in our culture? That if you want to be successful, if you want to, as he says later, have a name, then you have to do these things or have these things in order to make it, in order to succeed. You've got to have a house in this neighborhood. You've got to drive this kind of car. You've got to send your kids to this kind of school. You've got to have your kids in these kinds of activities because that's what successful people have their kids do. You've got to go on these kinds of trips. You've got to wear these kinds of clothes. And our system of production and consumption in our culture says in order to maintain that, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep working, you can't stop and take a break. And God is saying, if you can't stop and take a break, you are a slave, exploited by that system of production and consumption. That that's where you are if you can't stop one day in seven. You're not free, you're enslaved. And notice, God says not only are we to stop and rest one day in seven, not only do we celebrate the fact and remember the fact that God has freed us every one day out of seven, but that also, he says, your family and your servants should get to stop and rest just like you do. He's saying, look, we can't make those around us slaves of the system. That we must not be exploited in that way, but also we're not going to exploit others in that way. Okay, now we're getting to some justice issues, right? Now I'm seeing the connection between keep the Sabbath and keep justice. You may think to yourself, well, I don't have any male servants and, and man servants and female servants. I don't have servants like that. Okay, that's fair. I understand this will look a little different in our culture. But in our demands... For production and consumption, are we making other people work on the Sabbath day to meet those demands for production and consumption and keeping other people from resting? Are we exploiting other people, making them slaves to the system, even though we stop one day in seven, we're perpetuating this system that makes other people have to work to serve us to meet our demands for consumption and production? Look, this community of gods is different from the world around us. It's what salt means. It's different from the world. It's what light means. It's different from the darkness, right? And in this community, we stop one day in seven in order to rest our bodies and our minds, in order to feed our souls in order to celebrate the fact that we are not enslaved, that we've been freed by God. And that might mean that we make less money. It might mean that we produce less. It might mean that we don't have the status or the name that others are on that hamster wheel running for. But we're careful not to exploit others in this community or outside this community in that way. And that's how God defines keeping justice and doing what is right here in Isaiah 56. Wow. It's not where I would have gone. That's hard. 
Sabbath is hard. It is hard in this culture to stop one day in seven. That's a hard thing to do. Community is hard for us. It's hard for us to be accountable to one another, to think about what I'm getting, but also what you're getting and what I can give to you. Community's hard for us. Sabbath is hard for us. So where do we get the power to do this? How do we appropriate that freedom that God has achieved for us? Where's the power to do it? Let me take you there. Look at verses 3 to 5. I'm back in Isaiah 56. God says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. God is saying, Look, people who were previously were excluded, foreigners, people who weren't Jewish, eunuchs, people who were excluded, that those people can be included now. They can come in. That God's grace is freely offered to all. And people who were previously excluded can come in to his house now. That they can be a part of his family. So that's what he's saying. See, this is for everybody. This is broad, right? Verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house... And within my walls, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Let's talk about this idea of a name. It's what we're working for and slaving for to make a name for ourselves. He mentions the name twice here in verse 5, that he'll give us a monument and a name He'll give us an everlasting name, that God gives that to us. What does it mean to have a name? Well, the, re- the original audience, when they heard this, when they heard a monument and a name, they are immediately going to think of the story of Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18. You can look there. The, how did I find that? Because I looked here in my cross-references, and there was a cross-reference for it. Some of the folks that I read, I I didn't think of Absalom when I saw a monument in the name. But when you read it, it's like, okay, yeah, I see why. Because there's this story of Absalom who didn't have any kids. And so what he did is he built a monument to himself. And he said he did it because he had no son to keep his name. You see, in this culture, the way that your memory was preserved was a monument, and and family, people who carried on your name, sons and daughters who preserved your name, your memory, your honor. And and God say eunuchs, those are guys who aren't going to have kids, right? These are people who are not going to have a name, who aren't going to have a family, and that's the way you had a family in this culture. And so what Absalom was afraid of is that he was going to die and be remembered no more. Absalom was worried about significance. He was worried about, am I making any difference in this world? Or am I going to die and nobody's even going to know? And so he built this monument to himself. Now, in our culture, we want a name as well, don't we? We also long for significance. It's interesting, another point for another day, you know, birds and and dogs and cats and rabbits don't seem to long for eternity, 
Why do people do that and other people? Because we're made in the image of God and God has put eternity in our hearts. But as, as people, as human beings, we do long for significance and we do think about eternity. And we want to have a name. We want to have significance. We also fear that we will die and we haven't made any change in the world. That no one mourns us, that we just go on, that it doesn't really make any difference that we've lived in this world. That we're just a statistic. There's another death in Alabama today. They just marked that down. But no one grieves. No one misses us. We've really not made any difference in the world. We have no name. But we don't have a name or build our name now by having a family. That's not what it looks like in our culture, right? In fact, we're Americans. We broke away from that. I don't have to be bound by the name of my father and my grandmother. I make my own way because we're 21st century Americans. And so we make our name by our accomplishments. We make our name uh, because of our looks. We make our name because of our success, because of our individual efforts. And we put our names on buildings. I see memorials on stickers on the back of cars that have somebody's name. We see little monuments built on the side of the road where somebody's had a car wreck with people's names on them. For folks who die for what seems to us to be for no reason, we call for others to say their name because we want them to be remembered and not die in vain. We're so afraid of insignificance that we don't count, that we're not making a difference. And God promises here in verse 5, do you see it? A monument and a name better than sons and daughters. He would say in this culture, better than having your name on a building at UNA. Better than having your name etched on a monument. That God gives a name better than that. He gives an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Listen, if you belong to God, if you are in his family, because God is eternal and because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom like we said in the call to worship, then to be a part of his family and his kingdom means you do have eternal significance. It means that you are eternally a part of his everlasting kingdom. It means that you have an everlasting part in the story of what God is doing in this world. And it means, God says it here, that we will dwell in his house forever. That he does give us an eternal name. That he does make us part of something that is everlasting. And only he can give that. Nothing else in this world can do that. He says we will never be cut off. It's important to be cut off. That's covenant language. It's the curse that comes with covenant breaking. That your name is remembered no more. You're just wiped out. You are cut off. And that's a problem for us because we've broken covenant. We haven't kept justice. We haven't kept the Sabbath. We haven't lived life as God designed it to be lived. We're in danger of being cut off. But we saw in Isaiah 53 in verse 8, we read there of the Lord Jesus, the servant of the Lord in his work. We read that by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? He was cut off 
out of the land of the living. He died, right? He was cut off. He took the curses for not following the covenant, for not keeping the covenant. God says he was stricken for the transgression of my people. Jesus was cut off for our sin and our covenant breaking. So that we can sing things like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we sing things like, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Because it is by his perfect life and sacrificial death that we are enabled to live forever in the house of God. So I call you, come to the servant of the Lord, walk with him, learn his ways. Allow his spirit to empower you to live life not like you're still enslaved, but allow him empower you to live life as God designed it to be lived. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for what it reminds us, that you have freed us from being slaves. Help us to live life as people who are bound to no one but you, <laughs> as people who hear your voice louder than all the other ones in our culture. Make us a people who are different, who are salt, who are light. Make us a people who enjoy fellowship with you, not just for ourselves, but as a means to your doing something in this world that is beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine. We yield ourselves to you and ask that you would be willing to do that here in this place, in us, and through us for your glory. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.